You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming to you from Great American Ballpark, it's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Better Off Red podcast. I hope everyone is enjoying the Thanksgiving holiday and getting a few days off to celebrate time with family and to reflect on the things that you're thankful for. I'm thankful for those of you who continue to tune into the Better Off Red podcast each week. I've had a great time doing this, and I'm looking forward to chatting with even more guests as the show rolls on into the winter. Our guest this week is longtime Cincinnati Reds beat writer, and one of my close personal friends, John Fay. Before we get to John, however, I want to introduce you to an extremely talented singer-songwriter currently living in East Nashville, Tennessee. He's Joe Fletcher, and his new album is You've Got the Wrong Man. Here's a song from that album called I Never. Well, I'd never gotten on this ship if I'd known he was gonna take me home. I was never meant for life on land, and I can't make it on my own. Well, I'd never gotten on this ship if I'd known he was gonna take me home. I was never meant for life on land and I can't make it on my own. Well, Captain, my Captain, you must turn this thing around. My charts are telling me we are about to run aground. This is the place of pirates with all the That's I Never by Joe Fletcher, and although sadly he is a Cardinals fan, we won't hold that against him because his album You've Got the Wrong Man is fantastic, and I encourage you all to pick it up now on iTunes. This week's guest covered the Reds' beat for the past several years for the Cincinnati Enquirer. 2015 marked his final year with the paper as he's moved on to work for WCPO.com as a freelancer covering all the local teams, including your Cincinnati Reds. He's a Cincinnati native and still maintains residence at his historic palatial estate on the west side of town. He's John Fay, and he recently stopped by BOR headquarters to chat about his career covering the Reds and what he thinks the future holds for the Cincinnati franchise. It's my distinct pleasure to have John Fay as our first in-studio Better Off Red podcast guest. John, how are you? I'm good, Jamie. I'm looking around. you got many, many bobbleheads in here. Yes. A lot of things. The one thing you're a little short on is pictures of yourself. 
Well, I'm not, you know, unlike uh, a certain media relations person, I'm not a, I'm not a big celebration of self guy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, no one is quite in his category. He shall, he'll go unnamed, but yeah. <laughs> I am missing some Bob Seeger posters. Yeah, yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. poster. Jamie Ramsey celebrated from HHS grad. Yes. Enjoys dream job. Right. Yeah. This is a dream job. I get to talk to you. Hamilton High School. That, that would... That's right. That's okay, right. Okay. Go Big Blue. Yeah. We usually play some music, um, you know, after the, the post-production, we insert some music. So I, I'm debating whether to put some Seeger in for you or not. <laughs> Seeger, maybe James Taylor. James Taylor. <laughs> John Mellencamp. Some, some other icons <laughs> that you just... Uh, you disdain. <laughs> like I told you earlier before we uh, hit record on this sucker, I usually have some things prepared to talk about, but since it's you and me and we go way back, long-time close personal friend, I figure we can shoot from the hip. I, th I think that'll be good. Just anything you want to throw at me, I'll have an answer. Okay, good. This is like live Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. And you can be as snarky as you want, too. Uh, yeah, um, with no hashtags. <laughs> So, well, let's get right to it. You uh, just uh, left the Enquirer after many, many years there. How many years exactly were you working for? I was a full-time employee for 34 years. I was an, I started as a part-timer in 1975 when I was fresh out of high school. Um, so, yeah, it was difficult. I mean, um, it was a hard decision. I loved it there. I loved covering the Reds. I, but honestly, I was kind of at the end where I didn't want to travel as much. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, you know, maybe a change, and it, it didn't. I was hoping to stay under in a different role. It didn't work out. That's fine. I, I had no hard feelings. I'm not bitter at all. But, um, you know, I, I moved on, and I it was it was a great run there, um, and they were very kind to me at the end. But, uh, you know, I'm, it's time to, you know, for a new thing, which which, which is good after you've been someplace for so long, uh, to do something different. It, it's it's a little bit scary, but once. You know, I've settled in, and I, I'm I'm really happy. Well, let's give everybody an update on what you're doing now. I'm working for uh, WCPO.com as a as a freelancer. Um, I'm doing Reds, and I'm also doing other sports. I've covered the Bengals games. Uh, I wrote a high school story. I'm working on another high school story. So it's been a bit of a change. I I, I think when the season starts with the Reds and Reds Fest, I'll be doing a lot of Red stuff, which is good because I, you know, the thing about my career is the last 15 years I've been the beat writer. So I was around here more than I was ever in the office. I mean, I went in the office a couple times a year, actually. So um, I would have really missed being here. I, I won't be here, speaking of here at the, at the stadium, I won't be here probably every day, every home game. But I'll be, I'll be here a lot. I think I, I like that, that that'll give me a chance to stay around the people I've, you know, know and um, really, really enjoyed being around. So that I think that 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 was the good part for me that I'll keep my hand in it, but I won't have to worry about every little daily thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel reinvigorated since you went to WCPO? Yeah, I, I do. I feel um, I don't feel, you know. It was retirement, you know, John Faye's retired. Well, I, I, I think I wrote my first story two days after my last day at the Enquirer. So, um, as I said, I'm working a little more, but it's different, and, and the things I'm doing are have a different focus. Um, when, when you're doing daily baseball coverage as a beat writer, you have to cover every little thing that happens. And, and 
to be a, and, and that's the way it should be. But um, what, what I've done now is uh, you're able to sit back and do more substantial pieces. Um, the first thing I wrote for him on the Reds was, is, is there a possibility the Reds could trade Joey Votto or Brandon Phillips? It, it, it's not likely that they would trade either, but if you look at this time last year, it was impossible to trade either. Both were coming off of injuries. Both have big contracts, so there was no way. I think in, in Brandon's case, there's a chance they could trade him. Um, again, it's difficult. He has 5 and 10 rights. Joey's contract is so big that it would be hard to trade him, but not impossible. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, both of them had such bounce-back years. Uh, I think Brandon stole 23 bases after – stealing two the year before right. he he showed more speed uh played his usual good defense and, and he hit the ball very well Vado was the, the probably the best hitter in baseball after the all-star break after only hitting 280 before the all-star break so you know i i think they increased their value so much or showed that they were the player they had been that even though the contracts and they both can refuse any trade i think uh there's a possibility as slim as it is. And, and, and the other thing I wrote is about uh, Walt Jockety's legacy. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Walt gets gets a bad rap somewhat because right now things, you know, they're coming off, the Reds are coming off a 98 loss season. But I think if you look back at the things he did, um, bringing in Scott Rowland, I think that was huge to this franchise. That led to the, the good run of four years. And he's done well with all the big trades. Uh, the Matt Latros for Anthony DiScafani trade. Uh, that trade also brought in Suarez. Right. Or, or Suarez the, came. The, around the same time was the Simon trade yeah. right after the Latos trade. And uh, from the early results, the Johnny Cueto trade looks really good. And we'll see on the Mike Leake trade, it's, it's uh, I think, the, the, the pitcher Mejia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I won't even try his first name. <laughs> um, I think he's sixth on Baseball America's uh, top Reds prospects. So that could work out, too. Uh, I think what what Walt's legacy will be a little bit is what happens this offseason because there's probably going to be more trades. I think, you know, Aroldis Chapman will likely be traded. Uh, you could see Jay Bruce. And, and what he gets for those guys and where the franchise is, is set and how quickly it comes back will be his legacy. But um, he, I think people have a really short attention span, and I think Walt did some good things here. Were you surprised Chapman wasn't dealt last week? Well, a little bit. Well, I don't know if I was surprised. You know, there, there was a report that they were going to get this trade done with the Red Sox last weekend, um, and they ended up getting K, Craig Kimbrell instead. Kimbrell signed for basically three years. He's under contract for two years and has an option. So that that's a huge factor in any trade. You know, you always remind people this time of year that you don't trade players, you trade contracts. Chapman's an, uh, a free agent after this year, so you're only getting one year of him, where you're getting three years of of Kimbrell. And, and they're very similar. I mean, they're, I think they're probably the two best closers in the National League. I, I don't pay as close attention to the American League, but both of them are just if – if they're in the back end of your bullpen, you're really good. So uh, you're in really good shape in the back end of your bullpen. So I, I think 
you know, the Red Sox and, and the Reds probably talked, and the Red Sox say, hey, well, we can get this guy for three years and give up maybe a, a, a little more to get him. Um, with with Chapman, I, I think he'll still get moved. It, it just depends on to whom. You know, a lot of people try to grade um, rebuilding processes, uh, and we heard the term, uh, I think it was reboot this year for the first yeah. time. You hear reboot, you hear rebuild, you hear a two-year plan, you hear a five-year plan. In your eyes, where do you see the Reds moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think if you look at it, I think probably 2018 is the realistic um, time when you think of competing. With the Reds, the, the biggest factor is if, if they were in a lot of other divisions, I think they could turn around quickly. They're in a division that's very good. The Cardinals are the best team in the National League, historic, you know, for the last you know, eight, ten years. Uh, the Pirates have been very good, obviously, and then you have the Cubs on the rise. So that the Reds can't look at it as, oh, if, if we can win 89 games, we have a chance to win the division. The Cardinals won 100 games last year. The, I think the, the uh, uh, Pirates won 97. So it, it's, it's a tough division. Um, I, I looked, I just took a look at Baseball America's uh, top 10 prospects in the Reds organization. And if you look at the pitching at the top, you have Robert Stevenson and Cody Reed, the two guys they got from, uh, or Reed, in Reed's case, he was the third player in the Cueto trade. But talking to scouts, he has a, a very high ceiling. Robert Stevenson has a high ceiling. Amir Garrett is num the number three prospect, the left-hander, the, the kid that uh, played basketball at St. John's and then finally uh you know, just concentrated on baseball. Mm -hmm. He's a left-hander who throws up to 96 miles an hour. So I think if those guys, I think the best case scenario for the Reds is if those guys are what they, where they reach their ceiling quickly. Um, Di Scafani takes the next step. Uh, Razel Iglesias mm -hmm. Is, is that when he hit that, that stretch where he's striking out 10 guys a game and yeah. setting Reds records, if, if he can be that guy, then, then you might have a very good rotation. I think if you look at the, what the Mets did this year, it's a very young rotation. I think that's, that's kind of the model that the Reds have to hope for, that all these guys come um, mature at the, at the same time. They have a very good rotation. And if you have that good of a rotation – you can, you can fill things in. I mean, if Joey Vada is going to be your first baseman and very good hitter. You know, Suarez showed a lot this year. Uh, I, I think you, you can find enough offense. Devin Mesoraco is going to be here long term. So I think they could find enough offense if the pitching is very good to compete. You know, but every time you mention something, you're saying if, if, if. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I, I, but at the same time, they did what they had to do. You, they could not keep going and just trying to piecemeal things together and trying to put band-aids on things. And I think uh, I think it was a hard thing to convince Bob Castellini to do because he wants to win. He he's driven. I, I, I he's a great owner, I, and and I think he's found that it's more difficult than he probably thought being in the small market. But he's he's doing everything he can, and I think 
he he kept trying to to get a little more out of this core group and finally it just it 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 didn't work out in 14 and obviously didn't work out in 15 so they they kind of had to take a step back and uh move on and trade Johnny Cueto trade Mike Leak uh and 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 that that's that's the reality of baseball I think uh you know w- the the question is what happens are those guys that they get for these guys they trade are they good enough to turn it around and and then have another run like they had from uh 2010 to uh 13 do you think it's a good argument to um you know uh, it's not something that i'm particularly um uh, prepared to do especially as an employee of the club but uh, is it something where fans can look at and see that the team lost 98 games last year with guys like Cueto, Leak, Vado, Frazier, Bruce, all these guys, uh, is it is it realistic to say, is it fair to say they lost 98 with the with these guys, they can, you know, certainly do better without them. Is that is that a fair argument or no? Well, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 to a certain degree. I think the one thing you have to look at, if, if Cozart and Mezzarocco didn't get hurt, it wouldn't have been a 98 loss season. I, it wouldn't have been a 98 win season, but it, it would have been a decent season, um, I think. If uh, you know, because then you you're probably not forced to trade Cueto and Leak, and, and that's when things went bad. I, you know, the the Reds set all kinds of records for the most rookie starts in a row and mm-hmm. everything. And there's a reason teams didn't do that. It was, it, it's not only that guys are up before they're spo- supposed to be. And there were a lot of guys that, frankly, were here because you needed bodies. And they were all on innings limits, and you would get those bad starts or those four or five inning starts yeah. a couple days in a row, and that just kills your bullpen. It just has a, a domino effect. Um, but I think if, if you look at the teams, back to do you want to trade these guys, if you look at the teams that really tore it down, uh, the, the examples this year are the Houston Astros and the, the Chicago Cubs. Both of them really went through a, a period of struggle, and they were both in the playoffs this year, and both mm-hmm. uh, had a chance to go to the World Series. So, it works in a way. I think it's it's very hard to sell to fans. I you know I've I've spent my career in this town, and I used to cover UC football in. You know, I think the first UC football game I went to, there was probably eight thousand people at it. Mm-hmm. When you start winning, people start coming out. You know, it's it's and the Reds have seen that. So, uh, I, I, it, it's just a difficult pill to swallow because you're 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 kind of admitting, well, this is going to be a rough year, and that's hard to do uh, when, when you're you're trying to sell tickets. But um, I, again, I think it was a necessary step. Um, how far they'll go, whether they'll trade Bruce and Frazier, who are both under control. Bruce is under control for another year after this, I think, with an option. And Frazier's basically under control two more years. Mm-hmm. You can certainly make the argument to trade them, but right. uh, you're not going to trade them and get people in either case to fill in and be that guy. Right, I think sure. I think Jay Bruce is probably the most underappreciated uh, red right now. I realize he, he's, he's had two years where he didn't hit for much average, but he's a, an excellent right fielder who hits with power uh powers in a short supply in this game so yeah it's 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 tough you're probably looking at if if you trade him running out an outfielder who's in the situation where the starting pitchers were last year where not they're not ready where mm-hmm. you're gonna have to play every day probably someone like Jorman Rodriguez uh who's 
you know, add options and, and maybe, maybe you do that. Um, you know, it's, 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 it, I, but I think it's just always tough for a franchise to say, boy, we're going to take our lumps. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it worked, it certainly worked in the, the Astros case, but Kansas City for all those yeah, years. Yeah. Pittsburgh. Even. Yeah. I, I don't think, any, I think everyone here looks at Kansas City and how good it is now, but boy, you don't, you don't want to wait that long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was 20 some year or 30 years. So, well, we talked about, you know, dealing trades and, you know, dealing some of these guys possibly. Um, Really, aside from, um, you know, before the Reds made the deals with Cueto and Leak, what, in your eyes, what what didn't click? Because on paper, going into the season, you know, the team had some pretty good players, and they still do. Right. I, you know, back to Cozart, who was having a nice year getting hurt. Mezzarocco, I talked to a scout, and he said, Mezzarocco was the biggest thing. He said, uh, one, it takes the depth out of your lineup. You know, uh, Brian Payne is a good guy, a nice backup, but he didn't hit a home run this year. Um, Mezzarocco, if he's healthy, he's going to hit over 20 home runs. That, that's a big deal. Plus, you have the pitching staff, a young pitching staff you're trying to bring along, and you take out your catcher and, and kind of a leader, a, a, a take-charge take guy. I think that, that was a huge blow. And the other thing, the bullpen just didn't work. I think uh, – I've seen it here before. You come out of the spring training with a bullpen you think is going to work. And when it goes bad early, it, it's really hard to correct. How long do you go with guys? They went too long with Kevin Gregg, obviously. That didn't work out. Burke Badenhop, who I thought was a good sign, I thought would be better, was just horrible early. Um, and, and they just couldn't get to Chapman. Uh, and, and, and then you had, by the th- why it really went bad is is what I alluded to before is you had all those rookie starters mm-hmm. and then the bullpen which wasn't great to begin with was getting a lot of innings if you look down there at the end they had a bunch of guys who had been released or that they just picked up off the scrap heap and you know that's you you kind of get what you pay for sometimes in baseball yeah, well in in contrast to that too is you have to have guys like that at some point to like right. you said to eat up those innings and I think you know there are a lot of people that don't realize that this is an innings game, especially or for the on the pitching side. You know, you, you see uh, a guy like Lance Lynn go down. He threw 175 right. innings at a 3.03 ERA, and you know I saw some Cardinals fans that weren't too upset about that. But that's hard to replace, right? Right. And, and it's the same way in the bullpen as well. It's it's hard to and like you said, it's hard to catch up with your innings when you you were you're pitching a lot early. Uh, you're overworking the the bullpen, and it's and it's hard to catch up. Now, with that being said, do you see this team adding like not even not only on the pitching side, getting a couple veteran arms in the bullpen, but with a young team, do you see them getting like maybe a veteran guy off the bench or two, or uh, just going with what they got? I really don't. You're talking about free agents. I, I don't. I, I just I think if you're in their position. I, I just wouldn't do it. I, I don't think not even role players. Yeah, you know, I, I got Skip Schumacher was a great role player, but Skip Schumacher, a, a guy like him, isn't gonna isn't gonna get you that much this year. Mm-hmm. I, I I think the the reason you do that is to bring in a guy to set an example. I you know I, I don't think this will happen, but I've I've said. I'd sign Bronson Arroyo knowing that he might not be able to pitch because he's the kind of guy that he he's so cerebral he can teach these guys 
how to figure out the mental game because that's a big part of it. Every guy they ran out there, well, not every guy, but almost all the, the rookies they ran out there had the stuff to be successful in the major leagues. They all probably had better stuff than Bronson Arroyo, but Bronson Arroyo had it figured out. And and that's that's what you know really elevated Cueto once he figured it out, how to use your stuff, and, and that's, that's a big thing to learn. But back to bringing in a free agent, like, you know, I thought the Badenhop signing was pretty good. It, it didn't turn out that great. But I, I, if, if I were the Reds, and obviously I'm not in charge, I would look at these young arms. They have so many. They have so much pitching depth in the minors. And I'd look at guys, you know, maybe we bring him up and he pitches out of the bullpen this year. Um, maybe if Michael Lorenzen doesn't make the rotation, if uh, you're deep enough, you use him in the bullpen and um, – and develop guys that way. I would do that before I'd go out and sign someone. Because the one thing guys want, if, if they're very good, is they want at least two years, possibly mm-hmm. three. So you got to look at, well, is this worth it? The one exception I, I would make on that is if they trade Chapman, I'd try to bring in a low-cost closer. Just, uh, you know, low-cost in baseball is such a relative term. But, um, <laughs> you know... The Braves had Jason Grilly. Mm-hmm. I think a guy like that, I, I think he was maybe $6 million a year or something like that. I think th- that would be worth it to spare one of these guys who's not ready to close to go out there. I think that would stabilize things a bit. But other than that, I, I just don't I, I don't think they're in the position where they need to do that. Um, you know, I, th- I think the other spot that's open is, is left field. I'd live with the guys you have in here and, and take a look at them. I, I wouldn't rush, you know. I wouldn't throw Jesse Winker out there, the the best hitting prospect, if he's not ready. If they don't feel he's ready, why not? Um, I, I just think it can set you back. Um, he he was successful second half at Double A. Mm-hmm. I'd send him to Triple A, and hopefully he's successful right away. But it may may take him some time. There's there's a lot of players that it takes. You know, they, that first half they struggle, and then, but uh, you know, I, I don't think he's he's to the point where he need he he's showed that he's absolutely ready. So I, you know, I, I'd be patient. Uh, Jorman Rodriguez is an interesting case because he's out of options, um, and I, I think the, the, the shame of it with him is that he was hurt last year, mm-hmm. that second half, and didn't get a chance to play much. And he he was he was decent in the first half if he'd had a really good second half i think you'd feel like hey you know this guy has more talent than probably anyone in our system let's run him out there and see what happens um because he he's the he's the five tool guy the guy can throw he can run he's got some power he should hit for average uh is he ready probably not but i i think rather than try to to patch things you know where the which they've done there um, with Ryan Ludwig. Marlon Bird was a trade, but I just think you you, you got to live with uh, with the guys you have, and they also got um, Duvall in the trade. I yeah. think uh, I think you, you try him. He's he's going to strike out a lot, but he's going to hit for some power, um, and he doesn't have anything left to prove in AAA. So you know, right. I, I just I try to patch it together out there. Now that's. You know, left field's open. If they trade Jay Bruce, then it's you know, then if you're looking at well, boy, maybe maybe they do need to go get somebody who's who's ready. Or I think ideally, if, when they trade these guys, they want someone 
as far as development like Suarez, where they're not absolutely ready for the major leagues, but they're a step away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, with him, it turned out great. Let's talk about him for a little bit. What did you see in him that you think that, uh, I mean, he, you know, he wasn't as refined defensively as he was right. at the plate. Um, do you think that'll come along, or do you see his long-term future as a shortstop, or do you think the Reds would be um, keen on trying him in left field? I, you know, I talked to Dick Williams the other day, and it sounds like they're going to try him in left field. He's certainly if, – if, if you can play shortstop even at his – you know, when, when, where he struggled some, you can play left field usually. I, I think with him, if you look at shortstops historically, if you look at Barry Larkin, you know, Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter – they all struggled with making errors early in their career. Uh, the kid has struggled. I, I, you know, I've talked to scouts who think, you know, you move him to second base. The majority of his, he, he struggled a bit with his throwing more than, you know, he, he'd missed the routine plays. Uh, I, I, I think he can be a shortstop. I think uh, th- his bat's going to play. I mean, he's not a. You know, when you look at him, he's not a big, strong guy. He's, uh, you know, fairly lean, but he's got pop. I mm-hmm. mean, he's got doubles power, hits some home runs, and uh, I, I was I was very impressed with him. I didn't think he got overwhelmed by the moment. Um, he uh, he just he showed a knack in in big situations at times. Uh, you know, and he was he was up there. Uh, you know, probably a little bit before he should have been you know he probably could have used the year triple a but you know he he showed um he he hit i I think if you if you if you look at he he had about a half a season and he projected for over 20 home runs 80 rbi if you can get that out of a middle infielder that's pretty good yeah uh what did you see in billy hamilton this year he didn't exactly have the the season that he was hoping for uh was there anything that you saw in particular that 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 contributed to a, uh, an otherwise, I don't want to say disappointing, but if you ask Billy, he would probably say it was disappointing. Yeah, I, I think with with every hitter, when they come up, the, the they scout guys in the minors, but they don't scout them like they do in the majors. And I think when, when you come up and they get that, that scouting book on you, all that video and everything, and they've seen you, they pick apart your weaknesses. And, and pitchers... Good pitchers can pitch to your weakness, and you have to adjust. And I think he got in in a, in a terrible slump. I thought, and that's hard to come out of. I think you know by putting him down the lineup, it took the pressure off him some, but he really didn't hit that well. And then, and then with the injuries, you you know, it didn't give him a chance to recover and have a good second half. Whether he would have or not, I don't know. I I, I think the encouraging thing about him was he became a much more efficient base stealer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the other thing about him is he's 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 the best center fielder I see on, on a regular basis. I, you know, he didn't win the Gold Glove. I think that's partly because of what he did offensively and uh, missed that time. But he he makes catches that are unbelievable. Right. I mean, and without diving, just running them down. I mm-hmm. I remember when you know when he got hurt and uh, you'd see other guys out there and it, it, the ball would go up in the air and you think, oh, that's going to be caught. And it's like, oh, they didn't come close to it, you know. <laughs> so I think he's so good defensively. I think the, the speed element that he that he adds, he's going to win two or three, maybe four games a year just with his legs. Yeah. He gets in the right situations. 
he can do that. I, I think you know if, if he could if he could get his average up to around 250, you know, be a little more selective at the plate. I, I think he can be a very effective player. But he has to do that this year. I think it, if he has another year in 16 like he did in 15, you got to look at him as a as a utility type guy. I just don't. You can't if you hit that little and you get on base that infrequent. You just can't play every day, which is a uh, he's got every other skill. I think uh, the other unfortunate thing was with that shoulder injury, um, which he made on an incredible play. I mean, that was <laughs> that was a play I've, I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, you know, he he didn't get the time. The, the Reds talked about him working with someone in Southern California. I, I they never said who. I'm, I'm sure it was someone outside the organization. There's a reason they didn't say it, but. He wasn't able to do that. Right. So he doesn't start his baseball stuff until December 1st. So that that theoretically sets him back, or maybe it's, maybe it's good that he got away from it for mm-hmm. a while. So, you know, I, I, I think he understands this is a big year for him, um, and, and we'll see. You talked about Devin Mezzarocco earlier. Have you heard any updates on, on him, on his status? I just saw from the the GM meetings, uh, C. Trent Rosecrans talked to Walt about him and they said he's squatting which is it, mm-hmm. which is what the whole he had the impingement on his hip and that's the thing he couldn't do so I think if he's doing it this early I uh that's good he's a guy everyone will get an update with at Reds Fest I mean he was very confident that he was going to be 100 percent um talking to him towards the end of the year he was moving fine he was he had come pretty far but you know, until you get out there and uh, and do it on a regular basis, it's it's hard to say. The thing about his, his operation, um, the specialist that did it, I think his name was O'Brien out of New York. can't remember his first name. But he had done a lot of hockey players, uh, the same surgery where they, they'd had hip impingement. And they all came back, and obviously uh, it's hockey goalies. Mm-hmm. So obviously the, they put more pressure in – do more things with their hips than even a catcher. So I, I think if, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to believe he won't be um, healthy, but until well, they're out there, you never know. Let's talk about two other guys that were on the shelf for most of last year, Zach Cozart and Homer Bailey. Have you heard any updates on their status? I haven't since the end of the season, but at, towards the end of the season, Zach was very confident that he not only would be ready for the season, but he would be ready for spring training. Um the, the talking to coaches the the one thing about that is it's one thing to get, get through it and be able to play but a big thing with him is, is if his speed and quickness returns um how quickly that happens because obviously he's he's a fantastic defensive shortstop um so we'll see with that uh but he he was pretty confident and just watching him move around homer bailey i remember sitting in the dugout one day towards the end of the year and I saw him run out with a glove, and I'm like, is he throwing? Mm-hmm. And then I watched him throw, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he, if if I had known he had Tommy John, I would have th- thought it was the regular Homer Bailey. He looked unbelievable. Uh, the, I learned this from Don Gollett years ago, that you can watch a guy long toss and, and get a very good idea of what kind of stuff he has. If, if anyone's ever down there when – Aroldis Chapman is long tossing if he's still a red. Watch that. And you'll, you'll get an idea of that he's a different kind of guy. So to just watch a guy throw in the outfield 
I mean, Homer looked impressive. And when I, I talked to him afterwards and he, you could tell he was very encouraged, Mm -hmm. but he also was not cautious enough to not say, Hey, I'm going to be ready on opening day or whatever. I think, I think he'll be, I think he'll make a start before the end of April. If I, if I had a guess, um, the thing with any injury, it's to miss or to avoid setbacks. Mm-hmm. I think if you can avoid setbacks, the elbow is elbow surgery is so much less um, is so much more successful on average than shoulder surgery. Right. Tommy John is with professional athletes with the rehab they go through and everything. I think it's up upwards of ninety five percent or at least upwards of 90%. So I, I think he'll be back. I think it's a matter of time. And the other thing is, with the position the Reds are in, you, you don't rush him. But um, I, I was I was very impressed with the way he looked. Switching gears here, we talked a little bit about Bronson Arroyo earlier. Is he one of the – he's one of your favorites that you've ever covered, right? He's absolutely the best guy to cover. Um, he was – he never said no to an interview if, if – if he had time, he'd give you all the time you want. And I, I've said this many times. When I go up to a guy and I ask him a question, almost always I know pretty much what the answer is going to be. Right. With Bronson, I never did. <laughs> uh, you know, he did sometimes, but he would he would surprise you. He's uh, he's so cerebral. He can break things down. Um, when I do features on other guys, if I was writing about Joey Votto, if, if I wanted good quotes, I'd talk to – Bronson about what makes Joey Votto good. Yeah. Um, when I did a big thing on Cueto before the season, I talked. I, I went over specifically to talk to Bronson. It, it was, you know, Bronson. He was with Arizona in spring. You know, he had, I think he had traded twice, but the Reds were playing Arizona, so I go over to uh, their mega complex over there in Scottsdale, and I and there's a B game, so I'm I'm going to the backfields and kind of looking for him. And uh, they have a big workout thing overlooking where the B game was. And I'm walking by, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, you, can't, you couldn't see him, but he could obviously see that. He comes out the door, and he says, hey, John Faye, no <laughs> interviews today. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then he goes, you know, he was just kidding with me. Right. And we sat and we talked, and he, he was just – he was just a, and he also treated everyone um, – he, he, Treated writers like they were teammates. Uh, he was just just an incredibly nice guy, interesting guy. And I said, I if if he want, if he wants to coach, there's a, a spot for him because he knows so much about the game, and he would be a fantastic guy on TV. Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, I think I agree. I don't care who's on the air; he'd be the best guy going right now. Because <laughs> the other thing is, he's not afraid to say stuff about people. He doesn't, you know, he's. Uh, He's not married anymore. I don't think he's, and he has no kids, so he he doesn't worry about being politically correct. Sure, or he's you know he's he's an interesting guy, and, and he's fair about it. It's not like he right. bashes a guy right. just to bash a guy. He's right. he's he, he offers fair analysis, right? And he, of himself, I mean, yeah. some of the favorite things I did when I was uh, the the beat writer. Um, one year I, I went up to guys and just I asked Bronson Arroyo how he prepared to pitch a game and you know I turned my tape recorder on and you know 10 minutes later I had a, a great column you know and all I, all I had to do was transcribe it he just uh, 
very very interesting guy and and, and you could talk to him about a lot of different things he was just a yeah, he was he's probably my favorite guy to cover uh who else do you have any other favorites uh, sean casey it's a a great guy. I mean, he's just that enthusiastic, fun guy. You know, when I, when I see him now, I'm, a, I'm, I'm always scared because I, I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt by his hug. Uh, Aaron Boone was always great to deal with. Uh, I, I, people ask me about that. Some of the lesser knowns, Jacob Cruz was good. Um, yeah, it's, just, it, it, it's always been a, a, a pretty good clubhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, going back, Barry Larkin, one of the maybe the smartest baseball player I know. Um, and it, it, you know, I had, I had my run-ins from time to time with guys, but you know, it, it's always been a good, a good clubhouse and, and, and people were cooperative. The other guy to cover. And I went down when he came in town to uh, speak at the freedom center, Dusty Baker. I mean, he, he could not have, you know, when, when he got the job, I'm thinking all oh, this big time guy that's worked in these big markets, he could mm-hmm. not have been nicer to not only me, but all the beat reporters, uh, and very giving with his time and, uh, just, uh, 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 on a daily basis, a good guy to work with. And interesting too. Yeah. 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 I think you guys, uh, from what I've, since I've been in this business, what I've noticed about the media is you like a little more than just baseball. And Dusty certainly brought that <laughs> as far as the quote book goes. Well, he's he's the only manager that wrote a book about Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> and, uh, and the only one I could get. You know, and, and he, yeah, he was uh, always interesting. The guy, the thing I say about Dusty is more friends than anybody I've ever come across in my life. <laughs> and I went down to that thing at the freedom center where he was speaking about mascots and uh, native americans and it right. was a pretty yeah. serious topic and he did a nice job with that well, one of his friends was a, a native american indian mm-hmm. and he had visited a bunch of reservations on the time he was off but he had there was guys i i don't know their names but they were always in the in the waiting room outside the clubhouse when dusty was manager yeah oh yeah there's probably eight of them and they were all there <laughs> he just he's just uh he 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 collects friends like some people collect stamps it's amazing <laughs> now um you know a lot of people don't realize what goes into uh covering a team especially on a daily basis so, you know you get columnists you get national guys and we'll talk about the national guys in a minute but can you give people just a glimpse kind of peel the curtain back on, on what your daily routine was and some of the some of the things that you really enjoyed about the job and some of the things that you could definitely do without and that you're not going to miss yeah well i'll talk about home games um the clubhouse opens at three thirty, and that's i usually get here three you know and it, it, the job changed so much uh when i when i first took over the beat in 2001. I don't think we even put stuff on the internet. And then mm-hmm. eventually they took what I wrote for the paper and put it on the internet. You know, baseball became, you you had to be a digital reporter. You know, one of the things I do every day is put up the lineup. That's kind of become in the fantasy sports world. Everybody does it now, but you know, and that, and if there were a, a few little notes, I would, post them on a blog or just a, kind of a, a story uh, before I went to the clubhouse. But you go down to the clubhouse at 3.30 mm-hmm. and you meet with the manager. Every day you meet e- with the manager. Every, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on the road, it's three or four guys. At home, it's a bunch of guys yeah. uh, because of the TV stations and uh, the people that only cover them at home are there. And th- you kind of go through your th- thing. And it, what you're basically doing is preparing your notebook. Um, I think almost every beat writer writes a notebook. And you, you kind of go news of the day, uh, you know, trends, questions like that. And, mm-hmm. and then you get, you get done with a manager of the session. Usually lasts about 10 minutes you know, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. And then you go in the clubhouse and talk to the people you need to talk to before the game, get injury updates. Uh, if nothing's going on, you might try to spin a, a kind of a featurey thing in your notebook on, um, you know, somebody who's hot or somebody who's cold or, you know, s- some other oddities. And then, you know, th- and I, I usually like, I like to watch a, l- a bit of batting practice. If, if something was really going on, I might have to go up and, um, get it posted right away i don't i always try to get my notebook kind of done before the game um eat dinner 620 crew uh, <laughs> yeah. last couple years yeah. uh and then you sit down and watch the game and i was I'm, I'm a big twitter guy i would you know i found i i thought it was fun i had fun with it um i sometimes got in arguments with people on twitter and probably was a little too snarky at times but you know it it, it kept it was, it was a fun outlet and it also gave people a chance to connect with me and I sure. would answer questions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and during the game, you're watching the game, you're keeping score and you're also, you know, probably by the third or fourth inning, I, I'd start writing, writing your game story. Yeah. Um, partially because the memory was fresh on what happened mm-hmm. and, you know, how to describe it and put it in perspective and uh, you just write until the game's over. And as long as I worked at the Enquirer, my deadline was very close to the end of the game. I usually would have to file right after the game. And, it, and then it became a print uh, or a, an Internet thing where they'd, they'd want my story to post right after. So sure. post your story um, or emailed in and someone else would post it. Then you go to the clubhouse and get who you need in the clubhouse. So you, you go to the manager first and then – you know, you always talk to starting pitcher. You talk to s- some other players and uh, come up and rewrite your game story with quotes in it. Yeah. And if, if something major happened, um, you might write a sidebar or a note on it. Uh, the last few years I was working with Trent, so Trent may spin something different out of there. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that was really helpful to have a second guy sure. where he might be able to to take more time and, and wait and get somebody because, you know, in the newspaper world, there's deadlines. You know? yeah. it's, it doesn't do you much good to have it if it if nobody can read it. So um, that was always the deadline. So, and then, you know, the next day you do it again. Uh, yeah. Um, and and the, the thing that, then you, you have the road games, which is a little bit different routine. And that was, that was the thing that started to wear me down is just the road. Uh, right. Because you were responsible for your own travel. Right. You didn't get to travel with the team like some of the guys back in the old days. Right. And, uh, you know, talked about this a lot, but as Delta pulled out of here, it became more difficult to get to places. To get, you know, to get to Cleveland, I'd have to fly through somewhere. To get to Pittsburgh. And that just, that would make for really long, hard days at the beginning of trips. Because, yeah. I, I, you, you know, you don't you don't want to go in the day before. If Say say they're opening a series on Monday. I don't want to go in Sunday night and give up my Sunday night with sure. my wife at home. Yeah. So I'd get up very early Monday morning, fly to wherever, you know, Pittsburgh or 
uh, Chicago or whatever, check into a hotel and usually just have a little bit of time before I go to the ballpark. And those would make for some really long days. Sure. And then, you know, when a series ends, if it ends with, even if it ends with the day game, you're probably not going to be able to get out of there that night. So you have to wake up really early as the, the thing as the trip continues and get yeah. to the place. So that was, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of wore on me at the end. And uh, the other thing was just the, it, it became such a 24 seven job. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times in the off season where it's a completely different routine. I work from home and uh, wrote a few times a week, but you're, you're always responsible for the news where I'd, I'd be out to dinner and I'd get a, a text or someone would tweet something and I'd have to tell my wife, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta go chase this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just that, that just, it, the, the Twitter world changed things so much in baseball because the national guys you, you mentioned, um, a lot of them do a great job. Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, they break a lot of stuff. They, they have a lot of connections with a lot of teams where my connections were with the Reds. Right. Um, by and large. So not much, under Walt Jockety ever was leaked out of the Reds. But other teams would hear things, and these guys could tweet something, not only the two I mentioned, but any any sure. writer could mm-hmm. tweet something, and you would have to react to it. And, and a, baseball's like an, an old wives network. There's a, a lot of – every game that – people always say, oh, there were scouts at the game. There's, there's scouts at every game. Yeah, there's right, probably yeah. – at least a dozen at every game right. and they sit around at dinner and talk and rumors mm-hmm. go so you'd, you'd hear well I, I remember this I, I don't know who tweeted but someone said the Reds are considering bringing Brian Price back this was in you know right towards the end of the season and you know someone in my paper wanted me to should we react to this I said yeah they're considering back he's under contract they haven't fired him you know <laughs> i mean yeah but it was it was that kind of thing you had to react a lot in, in trade rumors it's like mm. you know anybody can throw something against the wall sure you know in the case of i didn't have to chase this but peter gammons wrote that the reds were, were going to have a deal done for a Rolls chapman by the end of the weekend right I, obviously that did not happen and um walt was very reluctant to to even comment on things like that mm-hmm. um, unless it got so far that he had to deny it. And he, he did in case in, in some cases, but it, it just, it, it, you're, you're chasing your tail a lot. If you're on the beat, I, yeah. uh, that, that I will not miss. Uh, <laughs> it was funny. I think my sister was in town and we, we went out to dinner and we were sitting at Ron's roost, no less. Oh, West side on the institution. West side. Yes. Uh, big Seg Dennison sponsor. <laughs> but it was the day you guys took some people off the roster. Mm-hmm. And I get this this text, and this was like two days after my official retirement. And I think it was the Monday after the Friday. And I get this text, I look down at it, and I immediately think, oh, I got to tweet this, and then I got to go put it on the blog. And I, I literally started to get up, and then I thought, well, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to work. I don't have to worry about the fact that uh, you know, they 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 took three or four guys off the roster, which you know, at the same time I'm thinking, "Oh, man, what's the significance of this and that?" But yeah, I, 
So you're already <laughs> reaping the benefits of not yeah, having to yeah. deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it. Like I said, it's it's a twenty four seven thing. It wasn't, you know, when I started, I didn't have to worry about getting any. My deadline was, you know, eleven o'clock or ten thirty or whatever. Right. And it went in the paper the next morning. That was the only outlet I had. Now, you know, yeah, you, I got Twitter and, you know, everything else. But And I think it's good. I think that that, that was fun, but at the same time, it's it can wear you out. We talked about national writers. Is there a competition there between the, the, the team-specific, the local writers and the national writers? Well, I, I think they're after completely different things. Um and 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 it's real. Twitter has become the median of baseball. It's uh, there. There are guys who, you know, they they make their living on Twitter, which I don't understand. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the emphasis on it being first is is so big with those guys. And which, not to interrupt, like you said, being first is big for those guys. Has it kind of diminished? the the content the quality of the content it it, it depends on the guy um uh, rosenthal does a really nice job and he writes some, some really nice things um i i think you know a lot of those guys as far as and i'm sure it's with any other team except maybe the big biggest profile teams but that may be all they do is they mm-hmm. they hear something they tweet it out but they never write anything about it we're, we're looking at a different thing and uh the the other thing that's happened is the guys that are successful, uh, Rosenthal and Heyman, are, I think, are the, the two top guys. There's a lot of wannabes, mm-hmm. and people people throw things out there and see if they stick. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you the things, the number of things that have been tweeted that never came to fruition. Um, that you've had a chase. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and sometimes it's it, you just have to say, well, you know. Do do I chase it? Uh, mm-hmm. um, and I, I what I tried to do with the Reds is, I, you know, I I always had a good feel of what was happening inside the organization, and I would always try to write what might happen next or what it meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I you know, of course, I wanted to be first on everything, and I, every beat writer does, but. Uh, you know, I, I think you can you can add depth and perspective. Um, I remember Lance McAllister had someone on his show, a, a, a national writer. I think I think it might have been Buster Olney, mm-hmm. and Lance tweeted out, um, "Buster breaks down what scenarios the Reds will trade Todd Frazier or something to that effect." Sure. Mm-hmm. So I tweeted back. I said, "Is one of those scenarios Bob Castellini trading the team or selling the team?" Because this was right after the All-Star game. Todd Frazier, they, they weren't going to trade him. I mean, between the All-Star game and the deadline, I mean, Bob Castellini was not going to trade him. Mm-hmm. And I and I think, I, I, I don't know if the national guys have the feel for that that the local guys do with, you know, what's what, what really happens inside the team or, right. yeah. you know. And I've said, you know, I've told my Twitter followers for years, you know, you know, especially the things that I can't tweet that you can. If you want to follow your favorite team, 
I would put more stock into the John Fays, the Mark Sheldons, the C. Trents than I would, and this is no disrespect to the Buster Olneys and yeah. John Haymans and, you know, uh, Ken Rosenthal's, but you guys are imbe- essentially embedded with yeah. the team. And, you know, to get an understanding of what's going on with your favorite team, if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, you have to, you have right. to follow the local guys and put more stock into what they say rather than what the national guys say. Yeah, and I, I think the the one advantage those guys have over local guys is they're connected to every team. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's an old women's network. I mean, so much gets spread around. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like the old game of telephone that, you know, somebody <laughs> will hear something and it gets passed along. Back yeah. mm-hmm. And then people are... Um, repeating it like they heard it right from the person and right a lot of times it wasn't um you know I, I, the, the thing that you really want to be especially if you're a beat writer you don't want to be wrong on anything big about your team um have you been wrong uh you're just so good john well i know i have <laughs> i know i have but i i don't think i I don't think I ever had like a big trade wrong right, or sure. a big hire wrong. Um, yeah, it's. But know, like you said, you have to be correct. You have to maintain that credibility right. to, and to I, maintain your viewership or your listenership. And if I was going to go with something that I was going with sources and um, even if I was 100% sure, there were people I could call in the organization that would if, if I was wrong, they would tell me I was wrong, and I wouldn't write it. So, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you had to be careful. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'd rather be second and right than you know just risk being wrong on any anything big. I, you know, uh, a, a trade or a hiring or a firing or or things like that. So it's it's uh, yeah, I would. You know, you, you had you had to be cautious. What were some of your, uh, you know, you're very, very, and I send this compliment to you, John, you're very ethical. And that's one thing that I like about you, especially being on the other side where I have to kind of monitor or help <laughs> monitor the media when it comes to the team. Uh, when do you pull the trigger on something that maybe you've seen in the hotel lobby or that you've seen in the clubhouse that, have you ever been in that situation where should I write about that or I shouldn't? Yeah. Um, it, I, you know, you're in the clubhouse a lot and I, I always, whatever I overheard, I, I didn't use. Um, I always told guys, if I, you know, if I'm in front of you with a notebook and a tape recorder, we're on the record unless you tell me we're off the record. Um, I, I'd see things in the hood, you know, I, it really, it's it's odd. I, I stay in the team hotel almost all the time, and you do, you don't see players that much. You see mm-hmm. them coming in and out, and you say hello and, right. and and things like that. I'll give you an example with with Bronson Arroyo. Um, after the he beat the Giants in the second game of uh, the the twelve series, he was here playing at I think maybe the Holy Grail or someplace. Yeah, and some Giants fans was getting getting on him, giving you know good naturedly and yeah. And he said, "Man, I'm I'm up here working harder than I did against your team last night, <laughs> you know, or, so, or, so, or to that effect." So right. I saw him at Reds Fest. I thought it was a funny story, and uh, 
So I went up to Bronze. I said, can I use that? And he said, yeah. And a lot of other guys wouldn't. But, right. Uh, yeah, you, 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 one, you should always avoid overhearing something. And some, sometimes guys will say something in the clubhouse that's funny and everybody laughs. It, it always depended on the guy sometimes. Yeah. Um, some guys I knew wouldn't mind. And, and it, it had to be something fairly innocuous. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's 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 a fine line. You you want you want the last thing you want is those guys to be to lose respect for you and trust. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, th- I think guys did trust me. I don't think I, I don't think on things like that. I th- I don't think I ever burnt anyone. I, I right. Uh, the whole time I was on the beat, no one ever said I misquoted them. No one ever said I used something that they told me off the record or anything like that. Uh, they didn't like some of the stuff I wrote, but, you know, that goes with the territory. <laughs> sure, sure. Another thing regarding, you know, the the day-to-day inner workings of your of your position, and I saw it a lot when we'd post the lineups on Twitter. I mean, we all do. Trent does, yeah. I do, you do. We post the lineups, and immediately there's, a, you know, a certain segment of fans, you know, you get the immediate backlash. Why is he, this guy here? Why isn't this guy playing? Tell me, like, and and you get this, I'm sure, as a follow up. Go down there when you when the clubhouse opens. Ask Brian Price why this guy's not playing. Why is it not a good idea for you to ask the manager about the lineup every single day? Well, I, you know, I think it's it's a fair question if Brandon Phillips or Joey Votto or Jay Bruce is in the lineup, why they're not in the lineup. Sure. Now, whether to ask him why are they batting. Or, Bruce is fourth instead of sixth. You're gonna wear your, you're gonna wear out your welcome by doing that, and that's that's just a managerial decision. And and I think the people who understand the game the best know that the order of the lineup matters much less than who's in the lineup. Okay. Yeah, you know you 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 have a good lineup. If a guy's hitting second or third, it doesn't matter as as much if you you know if you have good hitters. So. Yeah, and and I, I think people don't understand. It's you know I have no, I'm right down the middle. Yeah, you know I, I just yeah um, yeah you're not you not you yeah. don't work for the Reds. You just right. cover the team. I'm a un, uh, I'm just a I'm I'm just trying to be an unbiased observer. Sure. So if something like that happens, even if I think it's even if I think it's a bad lineup. It doesn't offend me. I'm not mad about it. And uh, But know, I guess where I'm going with the question is it would be de- detrimental for you to continually ask the same question every day with the manager whom you're supposed to maintain a professional uh, working relationship with. Yeah, I, I again, I, I think you if someone's out of the lineup, there's there, – there's usually a reason and and if if you know it's day off they they may say it's a day off they may be hurt a little bit but those are fair questions but they you know a lot of the things are just managerial decisions it's it's the way he's decided to do it he's the manager uh and you can't do it on a daily basis but you know when billy hamilton was leading off and he wasn't hitting well at some point you ask sure why isn't he you know, have you thought about putting down the lineup? You, you know, 
I can ask questions and not tick people off. I, I have a, <laughs> I have a very tactful way of doing it. Although you know, you know, Dusty, give me a, come on, man, <laughs> you getting that off the the blog? And, you know, he did. He asked that a lot. Yeah, I was in there yeah, a lot, and he asked. Yeah. He would ask if, you know, social media was fueling your questions. Right, but yeah, I, the the daily lineup thing is, I, it, it is vastly overrated, on, uh, and I, I think people. People think that's the biggest part of a manager's job. It's very small part of it. What is the biggest part, you think? Managing people, managing personalities. You know, I, I think um, it, it's important to put people in a position where they can succeed. It's important to communicate with them. And uh, it, it's important for them to respect you. Um, I think the, the way you handle the guys and want and make them want to succeed for you uh that's that's really important um you know the lineup the the pitching just you know i think the the decisions on when to take out pitchers is probably bigger than the lineup uh the i would say the game management is is probably a quarter of the job um you know they they say that the very best managers will win four more games than the the worst managers based on game decisions. Sure. Only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that just managing people, getting the most out of them, is is the most important part of it. And the other thing that I think you know I've talked to Brian Price about this. Dealing with the media is a huge deal for a manager. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think for first time managers, they just don't realize how much of their time is spent with it. And how much it affects how your job is perceived by what you say or what you do, and um, but yeah, there's 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 a lot that goes into it. I don't, you know, making out the lineup. Anybody on Twitter can do that. It's it's to to you know to go out to get a guy in the position or understand is the position where he can be his best, and and you know decide who's better and that kind of thing. That that takes that takes a lot more skill than. Uh, putting them in order yeah is there anything specific that you've covered that you're most proud of um I, you know i covered some big moments you know jay bruce's home run homer bellies two no hitters, no hitters. Mm-hmm. uh you know it, it, it's sort of like the event and then how i reacted to it i really liked my first homer bailey uh, no hitter game story. I don't think I don't, I, I, the the second one doesn't um, stand out as much to me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I go back and read it. Maybe it was maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. Uh, the, the the stories I remember. Um, Jacob Cruz's wife had cancer. Mm-hmm. He found out that she had it on the day that he was. They threw him in the lineup against Roger Clemens. Oh wow. And I learned about that in retrospect. I talked about it. I talked to his wife and the whole thing about dealing with it and everything. Mm-hmm. That's a story I'm really proud of. I, I, I didn't get to do enough of that. Um, you know, I, I remember some, I, I, I did a, the Cueto story I did for spring training or for our opening day section this year, I really liked. Um, I, I think I think of it that more than that. You know, I, I broke that the All-Star game was coming here. That, to me, that was a big deal, you yeah, know. Sure. And, uh to have that kind of scoop is 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 big uh, in this day and age. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I think of. I the games, you know, when when I was reflecting on my career, 
the games run together. <laughs> Very few I, jump out at me. You yeah. know, uh, there's some crazy ones. I remember when Juan Castro hit a walk-off home run on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> you know, that that stands out to me. Sure. But uh, it was more it was more the people. You know, I, yeah. I remember um, my brother died. Uh, probably I don't know. It was about eight years ago. Ken Griffey Jr. was still with the team. And I had taken some time off, obviously, and then I rejoined the team in San Francisco. And I was walking out of the hotel, and Griffey saw me. He was on his cell phone talking to somebody. He said, "Hey, I gotta, I gotta do something." He hung up the phone, and we talked. You know, oh, yeah. And I just thought that was, you know, he he got such a bad rap, but he he was a good guy. He was mm-hmm. he was always the guy that said that, you know, he was no fun to talk about baseball with, but he was. He was great to talk about other things with. So, you know, I remember things like that. I it's uh, and when you do it for years, you, the the people stand out to me more than, you know, you do so many games. It's just like yeah, they all sort of run together. Um, you know, I I, I cover the '90 World Series. I wasn't the beat guy, obviously, but that was just such a moment. You know, uh, that game four with Jose Rio. You're mm-hmm. just like, wow, we're, we're seeing something special here. Yeah. So you, you were in Oakland then for yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Let me ask you about, uh, we'll wrap up here soon. I want to ask you about the way that um, the Baseball Writers of Association determines their year-end awards. And I want to get your take on whether you think that's a fair process or if you think it can be improved upon. I think it's fair. I think, I think by and large, with rare exceptions, people take it very seriously. And they, uh, you know, it, it, now it's become a saber metrics versus traditional argument a little bit, but I think it's, it's moving more. I, I lean heavily on saber metrics when I'm making those decisions. Um, I think it's, it's, it, the trends going that way as the base gets, as the older, writers retire you have to be an active member that's 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 a big question for me i you know i'm gonna have to make a decision whether i become a um a gold card member which is basically a lifetime member kind of like your arp card right right yeah uh (laughs) your golden buckeye card or i remain an active member and then i can still vote in the mvp and, and things like that um that's a that's a pretty significant decision to make well you know it's not it's not just my decision they have to oh i see because i'm switching you know there's criteria and 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 that that's changing a little bit um whether they they let me in you know so i i think they would i'm I'm gonna be doing enough baseball but yeah you know that day i voted for the mvp this year the first three you know i voted for the final they're the three finals that came out bryce harper Mm -hmm. uh Votto, Votto, and, and Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt. You know, I voted for them, the top three. I can't, I think I voted Harper, Goldschmidt, Votto. I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. <laughs> I got to go back and look at it because I think today's the day it comes out, or yeah. is it tomorrow? I'm, I'm going to look to be sure, but I, I think that's the way it went. The hard thing for me with the MVP was those other below the top three. Yeah, know, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you're you're voting for the tenth guy. It's it's you vote for ten, so it's 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 really difficult to kind of sort it out. And you know, I spent a lot of time. I spent you know, an afternoon trying to to f- figure it out. And I think most guys do that. I think, particularly with the MVP, where you vote for ten, and the Cy Young, you vote for five. Now, the Rookie of the Year, the Manager of the Year, 
it's 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 a little easier mm-hmm. but um i think people take it seriously and i i think you know people the players association mlb.com they've tried to create their own awards but these are still the awards oh, that yeah. matter yeah. i mean it's you know nobody says uh, you were um the player's choice award winner but but <laughs> once you become Joey Votto will be a former MVP and that, yeah. that's it's 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 a very serious thing and i think by and large we do a good job mm-hmm. good okay last question um current state of this reds franchise and where do you see it going from from here on out well i think it's obviously it's in 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 some bad a bad stretch looks to be on the horizon uh when you lose 98 games the minor leagues are not full of ready top prospects as far as position players i think the pitching's pretty good i think it'll i think it'll come back i i i I, as i alluded to i think bob castellini's a great owner um, I think the things he's done other than on the baseball side, bringing the all-star game here, the civil rights game, uh, they've just upgraded the stadium. They've, they've put their own money into it. The stadium is nicer now than it was, you know, it, it gets nicer every year. They, they, they've, they've done that. They've worked really hard on the marketing side of it. But if you're the 31st market, it's tough. Their revenues are way less than the Los Angeles Dodgers and, and teams like that. I think they have to draft and develop their position where drafting high this year, they're in a position where they can sign some high dollar um, players from the Caribbean. I think that'll help. You know, they haven't had an impact player from uh, the Dominican or Venezuela since Johnny Cueto. Uh, you know, Norman Rodriguez could be that guy. You know, Juan Duran, who they spent a lot of money on, doesn't look to be that guy. So I think they have to get better in that area. Um, but, I, you know, baseball so cyclical. If we were sitting here at this time last year and I said, well, you know, I think the Mets pitching's good enough that they're going to make it to the World Series. Everybody said, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think you always get surprises. I think if they compete in 16 or 17, it will be a surprise. Uh but I think with with the Castellini family in charge, I, I think they will come back eventually. I, I'm in, in you know there, there's a, there's a change afoot. We haven't mentioned it, but Walt Jockety is in his last year as the the head of the baseball operations. It's going to move to Dick Williams, who's now the GM, and it, um, I think you're going to see a, things done a little differently around here. And you know whether they're successful or not, we'll, we'll see. But I, I'm pretty confident that it, it'll come back uh, again. In this division, it's going to be tough to come back anytime quickly because the other teams are loaded. John Fay, always a pleasure. I hope to have you back on this nickel and dime podcast <laughs> at some point soon. I'll be available, my friend. All right, John. Thanks a lot. It was great having John on the show this week. Professionally, he's always handled himself with dignity and class. He's very insightful and has a great understanding of how the business of baseball works. John's been a great friend to me personally, and I wish him nothing but the best as he transitions into a fresh start and a new beginning with WCPO.com. I hope you'll join us next week as we welcome to the show the Reds' all-time saves leader, Danny Graves. The music you heard on the podcast this week was courtesy of Joe Fletcher and his album, You've Got the Wrong Man, which is available now on iTunes. Thank yous go out this week to John Fay. The Cincinnati Reds and my pal Lisa Braun. 
And a special thanks to our talented technical director, Nick Prince, without whom this podcast would not even think to exist. That's all from BOR headquarters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Expect good news and happy Thanksgiving. Take my